Good morning. If you would take in your Bible, turn to the book of Luke, chapter 22. Book of Luke, chapter 22, verses 7 through 13. As Matt mentioned, we're going to be studying uh, the Lord's Supper this morning, and then after that, we're going to actually partake of the Lord's Supper together. As you turn there, I just wanted to think about for a moment this idea um, that, we, that we do as people is that we eat with one another. Almost everything we do revolves around eating, it seems like, except for the, the normal Sunday service. Nearly any time we would gather outside of this, we're going to have some food, right? <laughs> we're going to eat together, not just as, as Christians and as a church, but just people in general. When we meet together, we want to eat. Uh, business is done a lot of times over food. First dates and other dates are done over food. Uh, whenever I took Ashley to our first date, we didn't have time to go eat because I got out of work so late, went to the theater, but I guarantee you we ate some popcorn. I, I guarantee that was part of the, part of the, uh, the date was that we ate something together. And even, even non-Christian sources signify the importance of eating together as a family uh, dining together with, with your kids and eating together and, and talking at the dinner table. And all that to say that almost just any time that we gather together, we eat. And so there's some importance to us in how we eat and eating together. When me and Matt first met to talk about an internship five years ago, we at, ate at Crow's, right? We met together at Crow's, and there's nothing special about Crow's. It's not Chick-fil-A, so it's not the Lord's chicken. But... <laughs> It's just plain old chicken, right? We could, have, we could have just as well met up here in his office. But there's something special about eating. And I'm sure he, he bought my food. And as a college student, I'm sure I was really grateful for that. You know? And so we ate together. And there's nothing special about how someone eats chicken that would show how an internship would go. And so all that to say is that we simply just eat together because it's important, because God has made that important to us, because we have to eat to survive. And so when we eat together, we're... We're being vulnerable, and we're opening ourselves up, and we're doing the thing that we must do in order to survive, but we're doing it together. And so what I want us to see in this text through the words of Jesus is that all throughout history, God has made a way for us to eat and to uh, commune with Him and to have fellowship with Him. And so as we take communion today, we're going to be doing just that. We're going to be communing with God and eating in His presence. So let's read Luke chapter 22. Verses 7 through 13. Do I have the remote up here, Matt? Oh, yeah, I do right there. Okay, you got it. All right. Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 13. Or, excuse me. I messed up there. Um, 14 through 23. What's up there? Uh, and when the hour came, he reclined, at, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, and likewise, excuse me, likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is, betrays me, is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And when they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. 
Let's pray together. Dear God, I thank you for this time that we have to, to come together and to study your word. I pray that you would hide me behind your word, dear God, that you would make little of the things that I have to say, dear God, and make big of your word. I pray that you would allow us to see uh, truth in here, dear God, truth that, that shows us how you have gone to such great extents, dear God, to commune with your people and to have fellowship with us, dear God, and to redeem us, dear God. So I pray all these things in your gracious and holy name. Amen. So as we consider the, the topic of communion this morning, I want us to walk through Jesus' words as he institutes the Lord's Supper. Uh, I want us to see that we kind of look backwards and we kind of look forward. We look backwards in that Jesus mentions this Passover meal and he chooses to, to institute the Lord's Supper during a Passover meal. So that causes us to look backwards in a sense. And then he draws our attention to the future in verse 16 and 18 when he says that he won't do this again until he does it again in the kingdom of God. And so we're called to look backwards, we're called to look forward, and then we're going to see what we're to do in the meantime when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. That's what we do in the present. So that's how I want us to break this passage down, to look backwards to the Passover and to see its significance to the Lord's Supper, to look forward to the future and what we had to look forward to and, and how we're going to commune with God in the future. And then, like I said, we're going to look to see what do we do in the here and now. And so the big idea that I want us to focus on as we look to each one of these aspects is to see that for the past, present, and future, in each one of these ways, God has made a way to redeem and commune with his people. In each one of these, past, present, and future, God has made a way to redeem and commune with his people. So first, let's look backwards. Let's look to the past. Um, Jesus mentions in verse 15, he's, as he's doing this, he says, I have earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And so Jesus is, has chosen to make this, this last meal with his disciples a part of this Passover meal. He could have done this at any time. He could have made the Lord's Supper, taking a cup, a cup and taking some bread at any time and done this, but he chooses to do it as a part of the Passover. And in doing so, he is pointing us back to that event. He's pointing us back to this idea of the Passover lamb. So think back to what happened at the Passover. We, we study it a lot in children's church uh, about the, the exodus of Egypt. We study it all throughout our lives. And think about what happens there. The Passover was a part of God's plan for Israel's redemption and, and salvation from the hands of Egypt, from the hands of Pharaoh. Through Moses, God had sent plague after plague after plague, urging Pharaoh to let his people go, but Pharaoh refused until the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn child of each family. And as Moses warned Pharaoh at midnight that the Spirit of God came through Egypt and struck down the firstborn of every family, except the ones that God had spared, his people. I want to read to you the instructions that God gives to the Israelites. This is from Exodus 12, different parts of Exodus 12. Verse 5 says, after telling them to get a lamb, he says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And then verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. 
The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So the judgment of, of the Lord and of this, this plague pass over the Israelites. What then is the basis for that? What was the basis for their being passed over? It was the blood of this lamb, right? They put it on the doorpost, and that would signify that they were God's people. And that is how the, the, they were passed over, is based on that blood. And in a way, they were professing their relationship with God. This is how they signified, we're not one of the Egyptians. We are one of God's people. We are one of Israel. And so by choosing to institute this new practice during the Passover meal, Jesus is, is pointing himself to himself and saying, I am like the Passover lamb. By the body and blood of that lamb, the Israelites were saved. And by the body and blood of Jesus, we are saved from our sins. So all throughout God's word, we see that, that connection. We see that Jesus is called the lamb of God. But think about what, what Paul says. Paul makes a more direct connection in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. He says, Your boasting is not good. Do you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I think that should be a t-shirt. I'm a new lump. That's what he says. I'm, I'm a, we made a new lump in Christ. And so Paul sees Jesus as this Passover lamb. And he sees the choices that we make as either leavened or unleavened choices. And he says, because of the great grace that God has shown you, don't, don't partake of the leavened bread. Partake of the unleavened bread. Each time that, that Egypt would do this, this festival of the Passover, they would follow these exact same instructions. Each time they were careful to not partake of any leavened bread because of what God had done in Israel, because that was the instructions that God had given to them. So Paul is saying to us, you too have this Passover lamb, this Passover event to remember. And that's at the cross of Jesus. And so because of that great grace, great grace that we see there, we shall also be careful as the Israelites were not to partake of malice and, and evil, but to partake of sincerity and truth. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, we're, we're caused to look back and to think about the Passover and to think about the choices that we make, the choices of to sin or, or to repent and turn in our sin and to turn to the unleavened bread of, of truth. So as we look back to the Passover, we see that for Israel, this was very much a communion meal. This was their Lord's Supper. And likewise, when we take the Lord's Supper today, this is very much a Passover meal for us. We're called to look back, to look back to see what God had done for Israel in the Passover, and also to see what God does for us through the cross. And we see Jesus as this Passover lamb, the perfect and, and better lamb. Not a, not a sacrifice that has to be repeated year after year like the Passover, but a sacrifice that is good once and for all. So Jesus' words while establishing this calls us to see him as this lamb. And ultimately the Passover, it was a it was a bigger, or it was an event, it was a smaller fulfillment of the greater covenant that God had made with Israel. God had made a covenant with Israel that said, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will redeem you and there will be a promised land. And so this small 
event was just a part of the fulfillment of that larger covenant. It was a way in which God fulfills that promise to be their God and to redeem His people. And from this point forward, God's presence really dwells closely with the people of Israel. From this point going forward, as they're in the desert, think about all the ways that God dwells with His people. When Moses is at the mountain, he speaks with God, and the people commune with God at the, at the seat of the, of the Ark of the Covenant. And so God has made a way for His presence to go forward and to be with His people through this Passover event and through the other covenants that God has made with His people. So next, Jesus' words invite us to consider the future. Jesus is about the bread and the cup. He says, For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes, or take of the bread of the cup until the kingdom of God comes. So that, I'm sorry. That causes us to look to the future and to see uh, the kingdom of God coming. I, I want us to read from Matthew 26's account of this same uh, story because he adds a little bit of detail. He says, Jesus speaking, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So Matthew's detail makes what Jesus says about taking the cup again in this future kingdom of God a little bit more personal. He says, I will take it with you in my Father's kingdom, and I will drink it new. I will drink it new. So all that points us to is this, this time where there's going to be a future communion with God and a future fellowship with God that is even different from what we have now. Jesus is pointing to a time in heaven where we'll be communing with God face to face in the very presence of the God, the very physical presence of God. And I love that he says that we'll drink it new. It reminds us of the idea of a new creation, a new heaven and earth, and in a way that we'll have a communion with God in a way that's different than what we have now. The communion that, that Adam and Eve had in the garden, how they got to walk with God personally and physically and to speak with God, and every time they ate, they ate in the presence of God. That same idea will be restored. That same perfection of creation will be restored and what we see is that there's this progression of redemption that happens throughout history. After the fall, you see, mankind was separated from God. But through Jesus, we've been, we have a way to have a relationship with God. But even further than that, even in heaven, we're going to have a direct physical presence with God. We're going to be renewed and restored. We see these two ideas in First uh, and Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So in one sense, we've been redeemed. If you're in Christ, you've been redeemed. Your soul has been redeemed. You've been given salvation from sin and the ability to turn from our sin and to repent from our sin. But there's still something else to come. There's still something else that we're longing for. And I think Jesus kind of points us to that when he talks about this idea of the new kingdom of God. Romans 8, 22 through 24 says this, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. So our souls have been redeemed, but our bodies have yet to be fully redeemed. There's a time we're going to have perfected and glorified, redeemed bodies. And so as we take communion we can see this kind of dual idea where we celebrate the fact that in the here and now, our, our sins have been saved. We've been justified. Our sins have been covered. We've been justified and, and saved. 
But also the other aspect of it is that we are longing for this new communion that we'll have in heaven, for this greater uh, covenant that we have that, that will be fulfilled as, as we have redeemed and perfected bodies. And so we celebrate as we take the Lord's Supper what God has done for us now, and then we long for what's to come, for that, that new time in heaven, that new kingdom of God. And I don't know about you, but I often don't think about that aspect probably as much as I should. I don't I think about salvation and grace, but I don't often think about this idea of a future redemption, the redemption of our bodies, you know, being perfected and glorified and, and then being in heaven and all that. I don't often think as much about that, and it's probably because, honestly, I've led a pretty easy life. You know, I haven't really faced any of the gut-wrenching trials that people face that, that cause them to long for that time. But this weekend, I got to go home, and I, I began to think a little bit more about that because this weekend I got to see... Uh, this little baby boy that my parents has been fostering, um, a little boy that uh, they're fostering. He's only three weeks old, and uh, his, his mother was forced to turn him over to DHR. Um, you can imagine why. And then I see this, this little boy, three-week-old little baby, who by no fault of his own, for, for his, no sin of his own, who is suffering and going through painful withdrawals because of choices that he didn't make, choices that his mother made. And I hear about his parents' apathy for their own child and how mistreated they did to him and how they didn't care for him. And now, honestly, there seems to be no justice in sight for the mother. They won't go, they won't go pick her up. They won't, they won't take care of it. And it is, this is something that will continue to go on. And so seeing... That makes me angry for him and, and sad for him. And it causes me to long for that time when, when that won't happen, when little babies won't have to, to go through the, the pains and, and effects of the fall for which they personally didn't, didn't, didn't receive, didn't account for. When creation will be made new and when God's justice will be perfectly put on display. And when we will commune with God in person and in glorified and perfected bodies with no sin in sight. So I say all that and tell you that story just to emphasize what Jesus points to here as we talk about communion. When he points to that new kingdom, it's a time in which we'll commune with him away from sin and away from sickness and in perfected bodies. And that's something that we can be joyous about today, something that we can look forward to today. So we've looked back and we've seen how God has communed with his people and redeemed his people. We look forward to see how we're going to be further redeemed and how we're going to further commune with God. And I want us to look to the present and to see what do we do in the meantime. What do we do in the meantime? Because we're in between these two times. We're not in the same state as Israel where we have to offer sacrifices time and time again. But we're also not yet in this new kingdom of God. So we're in this in between, a time that we often call the already but not yet. We've already been justified, but yet to be fully redeemed and glorified. So what do we do now? As far as I can tell, based on just, just looking at different commentaries and whatnot, um, the only really present tense kind of command that Jesus gives is in verse 19. In between talking about, about the bread and the cup of Jesus, he says, do this in remembrance of me. So do. Do this in remembrance of me. So in this in-between time, we are to remember the works of Jesus in his birth, 
in his, in his life, in his obedience, in his death, in his resurrection. So that, that's, that's one aspect of communion is that we are remembering, remembering what Jesus did for us at the cross. We often say, take and remember, or eat and remember. But I think in Jesus' words here, we even see something else. We see an invitation to participate in something. Look what he says about the cup in verse 20. It says, And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And again, I want to read Matthew's account for the sake of a little more detail. It says, Jesus speaking, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So one aspect is that idea of remembrance. This is what our little table here says. Do this in remembrance of me. I think it's ironic, though, that every time we do communion, we cover that up, except for now because we're doing it differently. So you get to see that. Do this in remembrance of me. But there is another aspect in which we are called to participate in this new covenant with God, a covenant that was bought with the blood of Jesus. And when I say participate, I don't mean that by taking the cup that we are somehow receiving that salvation, that we're receiving that grace. What I mean is that we're demonstrating our participation in this covenant. We're demonstrating that, that we're doing what Jesus has said. Jesus says, take this cup and drink it, and we say, okay, we will. We're going to participate and, and do this. We're going to be a part of this covenant and show our participation in it. One pastor put it this way, and I just think he, he words it really well. He says, at his table, we do not eat and drink the physical body of Christ, but we do eat and drink of him spiritually. By this, we mean that the gospel which has been completed once for all as a saving grace, is applied in fresh ways as we gather at the table. Jesus himself meets with us as his blood-bought body of believers to help us fix our, our eyes on him and fight sin and treasure him by the power of his spirit. So I think that's a really good way to, to, to summarize what we're doing here. We're not receiving saving grace, but as we take the Lord's Supper, we're receiving fresh benefits of the gospel. Because the act of remembering and participating in this, it strengthens us. It's more than just a memorial service for Jesus. It is a way in which Jesus' presence is here with us, in which we eat and we commune with him. And in doing so, our spirits are renewed. Our bodies are renewed. We're given strength to follow him and be more like him. So we've looked back to the Passover. We've looked to the, the future and see how God's going to redeem us even further and to commune with us in his new kingdom and now we've seen how in this present time, Jesus communes with us through this very act that we're fixing to do. This is how we fellowship very closely with Jesus. And his presence is with us in a special way as we take the Lord's Supper. We're eating in the presence of Jesus. So before we move on to the Lord's Supper, I want to quickly give us just three kind of practical applications of what we've been studying. So the first is that is we that are, should take the Lord's Supper humbly. We should take the Lord's Supper humbly. The Lord's Supper reminds us of the body that was pierced and the blood that was poured out for our own sin, that we might enter into this new covenant with God and have salvation through the blood of Jesus. And so there's, there's no works of our own in that. And what we're doing today, we're not, we're not thinking about what we've done. We're thinking about what Jesus has done in order that we could enter this new covenant with God. So we should take the Lord's Supper humbly. We should take the Lord's Supper thoughtfully. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So because it's more than remembering, because it's more than just a memorial service, because we're actually 
proclaiming Jesus and professing to be a part of the body of Jesus and are proclaiming his death, we should do so in a manner that is honest. That's why the cup is only for those who have been bought by the blood, who have been saved. We should do so in a manner that is honest. He goes on to say in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 29, he says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. He's speaking to Christians there. He's saying, let a person examine himself, then take the Lord's cup. So it's important that every time we take the Lord's Supper that we take a moment and just examine our own lives. Not asking ourselves, am I good enough to take this cup and bread? But asking, have I been redeemed? Am I trusting in Jesus and turning away from sin and turning to Jesus? So between now and the time that we take the Lord's Supper, perhaps when we pray in between, take a moment and examine your own life. So we should take the Lord's Supper humbly. We should take it thoughtfully. And lastly, we should take the Lord's Supper joyfully. We should take the Lord's Supper joyfully. There is great joy in what we're fixing to do because we've looked back and we've seen how Jesus is the better Passover lamb. He is the perfect sacrifice who's died in our place. We look forward and we're, we're excited about that and we're joyous about that and to see what, what God has in store for us and these perfected bodies and, and to be redeemed in that way. And then in the meantime, we take joy in knowing that Christ has, has done what was needed to cover our sin, that Christ died on the cross for us with his body and his blood, and he offers that as a new covenant for us to participate in. So we should take the Lord's Supper humbly, thoughtfully, and joyfully. So let's consider those things as we actually take the Lord's Supper. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll transition. Dear God, I thank you for this time that we've had to study your word, to study uh, this this ordinance that you've given us, dear God, that, that Jesus gave us near his death, that he, that he said for us to take the cup and the bread, dear God, and do so remembering him and to, and to remember the covenant that you have made for us, dear God. So we pray now as we participate in that, dear God, that we would do so honestly, dear God, that we would do so uh, humbly and, and thoughtfully, and then also with, with joy, dear God, that we would um, joyfully um, experience this today, dear God, that we would uh, that your presence would be here in even a special way, dear God, that we might commune closely with you as we do this. And all these things I pray in your gracious and holy name. Amen. All right, so the first um, element that we take is the bread. If, you, if you're on the front row, you've got to reach back and get it, but it should be right in front of you. There should be a, a cup of bread and a cup of juice. You can just grab the cup of bread for now. Has everybody got one? There should be an extra back there, yeah. Okay. All right. So as we take this bread, I want us to do as Jesus said. Do this in remembrance of me. As we take the bread, let's think back to what God has done for us at the cross of Jesus. Verse 19 of what we just read. He takes the bread and he says, This is my body, which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. So take just a moment quietly together and we'll remember and meditate on what God done for us with the body of Jesus that was given for us at the cross. So just take a moment.
the body of our Savior Jesus Christ, torn for you. Eat and remember. The second element that we take together is the cup. Uh, in Matthew 26, verses 27 through 28, Jesus says, or the word says, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So the cup represents the blood that Jesus poured for us, that me and you might have forgiveness of sin, that me and you might have this new covenant with God. A covenant that gives us a new relationship with God through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus as our perfect lamb. A once and for all blood sacrifice that met the righteous standard of a holy God. 1 John 1-7 through says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. As we sang earlier, we, we sang the words, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. So take a few moments and meditate on the blood of Jesus and its cleansing effect and how it washes every stain of sin from us. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that cleanses every stain of sin, shed for you, drink, and proclaim his death until he comes again. Amen. You've seen the gospel presented in many ways today. You've seen through worship as we sang the gospel. You've heard the gospel through prayer. You've heard the gospel through the word. And you've seen the gospel demonstrated through the taking of the bread and the cup. So let's take a few moments and let's, let's pray and ask God that God would get into our hearts, that he would convict us of any sin, that he would draw us away from that and draw us closer to himself. And if there's anyone here that hasn't ever turned to Jesus, that today would be the day. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this time that we've had to see your word on display, to, to read it, to, to hear it, dear God. Pray that you would allow this to, to stick with us, dear God, that you allow us to meditate on the truths that we've, that we've seen and, and witnessed and, and, and proclaimed together today. Dear God, I pray that you would open our hearts, dear God, make us, make us new and new, God, and that you would continue to, to draw us away from sin, that you would continue to sanctify us and, and draw us closer and closer to you until that final time, dear God, until we'll be redeemed in heaven, dear God. We pray that you would go with us, dear God, that you would allow us to to, to commune with each other, dear God, and to continue to commune with you closely. All these things are praying in your gracious and holy name. Amen.